Hi everybody, welcome to the uh, Friday night edition of the Stretch Free Lounge. I'm your host Bill Whittle and it is the 16th of uh, June 2023. 20, uh, Hope everybody's doing okay out there. Uh, I was um, had to miss the uh, Stratosphere Studio show on Monday. I was doing the uh, Defense of the Moon Landing. That went really well. It was a lot of fun. And I was uh, not able to make the show yesterday because I was in Nashville. Uh, that was a little more iffy. Uh, mostly went out there to uh, make a personal appeal to see if we could get some, uh, some Daily Wire um, limited-time memberships so people could see... Uh, you know the work that I've been doing there, and um, I didn't get an answer right away. But it really was kind of a you know, take a number and here's your uh, here's your time and your time has expired. Thank you. Have a nice day. So that was a little uh, disappointing to say the least. But in any event, here we are. Um, okay, so uh, I don't know. How, uh, I'll deal with that in a minute. Um, so uh, I'm doing my, my level best here to, to try and get that done. Um, a nice surprise uh, when I was there was I got a chance to see um, the first episode, Rough Cut, of uh, Empire of Terror, which I was not expecting. I didn't know if it was even close to being ready, but they had it, and um, they showed it to me. We are going to watch the first 10 minutes, and I watched. we both watched the first hour, uh, the first episode of uh, Empire of Terror. And um, while editing notes for uh, Cold War were horrific, um, Empire of Terror is like uh, experience was very much like the Apollo Eleven experience, where the editors are bringing in footage I've never seen, shots I've never seen. The, the graphics is the graphics are just utterly fantastic. Um, just very, 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 very professionally done. The thing looks like a feature film, uh, and um, I was extremely, extremely happy with it and proud of it, and actually a little moved by it because I had mentioned from the beginning that this thing needed faces. That you know, for this, for this nightmare to have any impact, you kind of had to see people's faces, and they did a just a tremendous job of that. So um, I was very 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 pleased by that and um actually kind of moved in a couple places you know uh where they i talked about some of these um burial sites that are still in moscow or just shortly outside of moscow uh and i'd seen the fields but they showed the fields then they put up just montages of faces and i just you know it really had me pretty emotional um it is an incredible um, piece of production. I'm very, very, very pleased with the way it looks, and I'm pleased with um, with the graphic treatment. In fact, they went to the post production guys did such a did such a great job on this. They did something. It may not sound like much, but it's it, it's time consuming and it's very, very effective. So whenever I would do a a, a, a Russian quote you know, from somebody saying something in Russian. Um, they would put it up there in Cyrillic. It'd be in Cyrillic. And as I spoke the quotes, the Cyrillic characters turned to Latin characters, and so you could read it kind of as you go. Seeing it written in Cyrillic, which is obviously the Russian, um, 
Russian language and the Russian alphabet um, gave it a kind of a realism that I just hadn't really thought of before. Um, so uh, I was blown away by that. Um, I have not heard news yet back about the memberships thing, but I went and pitched that very, very hard. I mean, I really, that's main reason I went out there uh, was to, um, to make the case for how that would be good for both of us because I don't think there's very many people watch the show who's never heard of Daily Wire. And um, what I was looking for was, uh, you know, a certain number of limited time free memberships. I, I was asking for a year. Uh, to hand out to our members to thank them for sticking with us through all of this thick and thin. And um, I thought that would be kind of a slam dunk, but it wasn't. So it's not dead yet, but I, I don't know. I was, I was a little, uh, I was a little disappointed by the, that experience. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so I'm still I'm still kind of wrung about that, you know, just trying to trying to figure that out, and 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 it was a weird contrast too to get that kind of, you know, um, your 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 you know forty minutes are up, uh, and then to, after that to go and see the first episode of Empire of Terror, which I thought was just um, tremendous, and uh, it was just a little jarring. So there you go. Um, there's no way they can do just my shows. I was basically saying, um, look, I need some, I'd like to have some kind of deal. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many members they have. They have a lot of members. And like I said, nobody, um, nobody watching this show uh, would have um, not heard of Daily Wire. So my, my position was, you know these these uh, these free test runs. You basically give them your credit card, they don't charge it for a year. And I just told them, I said, look, you're going to convert 80 percent, 90 percent of the people who come to watch for my stuff. They they they'll get to see all the other shows on Daily Wire Plus, and plus I owe them, and it's fair. And I really thought that would be just a, a no-brainer. Um. So, uh, yeah, things are things are getting a little. Um, uh, mechanical over there, so uh, it's not uh, it's not it's not done yet. But I I didn't come away with what I thought would be a pretty pretty simple uh, request and one that I felt that I had earned, you know. Um, so there you go. Um, so uh, that was that. Um, however. The um, the uh, moon landing thing was a was a full on blast. That was just really 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 fun. On Monday, um, I went down and shot this uh, about an hour and a half, I guess, with Jimmy Fallia, which sounds an awful lot like Jimmy Fallon. He's um, he sits in for uh, Greg Gutfeld sometimes, and I said, "Hey, do you talk to Greg often?" He said, "Yeah, pretty much every day." They're based in New York, and a great crew came out with them. Two producers, they were both terrific. And I said, well, you tell him I said hi. I did five red eyes with him, and um, and I miss doing them. So I might do some uh, – Jimmy said he wants me to do some call-in hits on a radio show, and hopefully with any luck that will turn into um, some appearances on Gutfeld, whether with uh, 
with uh, Greg as the host or Jimmy, but Jimmy and I had ourselves a lot of laughs, uh, really had a lot of laughs. In fact, we went out for dinner afterwards with the two producers and had ourselves some more laughs. Um, he was, uh, the day after we shot me on Tuesday when I was uh, just, a, just a couple days ago, uh, the day after they were done with me, they were uh, heading over to shoot um, uh, Bill Shatner. So I finally get a chance to be in the same show as, uh, as uh, Captain Kirk. That'll be cool. Um, hang on a second. Yeah, Matt, I kind of, I kind of think so. Um, is Tucker taking guests yet? No, but uh, I had some very good advice from another friend of mine who said, you know, need to get, um, you need to get this Apollo Eleven series in front of Elon, uh, and um, and I would like very much to do that because you know, uh, Tucker's got this brand new show and. This friend of mine said the kind of factually based historical stuff you do or the, you know, kind of a little more in-depth stuff. He said that would be a really good fit for them. And I thought, sounds great. But um, I don't know how to, uh, I don't know how to get that to him. But in any event, I will, I will work on that as well. Um, yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, there is... Uh, Micro took some heat for visiting Daily Wire, was it? I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, it's getting it's getting pretty. Um, oh, I don't know what the word is. Industrial uh, over there, um, but you know they're there. Uh, so anyway, uh, Jimmy and I had ourselves uh, an absolute um, blast. Oh, Micro took some heat with with me being on the show. Really? Is that right? Well, good. Um, that's interesting. I'm, I'm surprised to hear that actually. Uh, I actually find that. I don't know whether to be flattered or, um, or, uh, or not. Well, the libs are getting all weird about his content because, um, because Mike Rowe is, you know, he's not a communist, and I, I just think they have a hard time dealing with anybody who's not a communist. This uh, show I did with Zoe today um, on this concept of uh, censorship being just the ultimate form of cowardice. You're, you're, you don't believe in your own um, philosophy. You don't believe in your own opinions. Uh, and so you have to shut everybody else up. I just consider it to be just really cowardice. And, uh, and I thought, um, I just think they're just cowards, all of them. Um, huh. Yeah, so anyway, uh, Solomon Abel with the super chat there says, just going to stick this tip in the jar. Rarely get a chance to catch it live because I'm on the other coast. Thanks for the content, Bill. I've seen every episode, even the Forbidden Angry one, LOL. Thank you very much, Solomon. I appreciate that very much. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, and uh, Eric says that um, 
you know, that uh, Greg's been making some jokes on Fox and almost daring them to fire him too. So uh, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I know Fox has just lost it completely, uh, just lost it. And, um, and you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's weird because the, um, the sense I get is that really genuinely starting to get some serious pushback in the population now. And right at the kind of the end of this gigantic social experiment in wokeism, right when people are really at the limit and they just don't want to take anymore, you find things like Fox, you know, going off the there and Cracker Barrel and, and you know, uh, and, a, and a couple of others. It's, it's like, what? Really? You guys are really now you're going to do that? Yeah, the ESG scores, obviously. but And, and I know that has a... Uh, much bigger i've always known it had a bigger effect than is obvious to us it affects their um, entire financial structure so their loan uh their their uh, their debt obligations their interest payments all of that stuff is big money tied up with them getting behind this progressive agenda which is telling me that we are in uncharted territory when um when the government and corporations are on the same side uh, when big government and big business are on the same side, that's that's a result of that's started with COVID, and um, I don't know what to do. Well, I do know what to do, but it's um, it's real leverage, you know. So the press is providing high cover for them by saying anybody who doesn't do the woke messages, you know, a, a, a cancelable, um, you know, Nazi. And then um, these companies uh, are just caving, and and I am just quite surprised, you know. Um, thank you very much, Ben Adams. Since I subscribed to DW just to see your documentaries, uh, and I, I really, I really am still pretty uh, little shaken up about about this. I really thought this was not at all unreasonable. Um, especially given the numbers that these things did. You know, these these previous three shows were all number two in the world on Apple Podcasts. And uh, and that's not, you know, that's not a bad performance in all categories. So, uh, you know, there it goes. Anyway, um, back to the, um, the Apollo thing. So um, I think they'll probably, I think they said in August, um, and... Uh, and I think somewhere around then for Empire of Terror as well. Um, but the moon landing thing was just a lot of fun. Um, the thing was just a laugh fest, you know, from the beginning. And um, and uh, I was really, you know, I was loaded for that one. I was I was fully ammoed up and, and ready to go. I'm trying to think if there's anything new that I hadn't uh, talked about with you guys. Did I mention the, the, the helmet reflection thing? last Thursday I don't know if I did or not um, I don't I don't know I want to say it again here because this is actually one of the strongest arguments I've ever heard or, or ever thought of and I haven't seen anybody else make it ever ever oh I did do the helmet thing all right well then I guess I might as well just pass on that uh, there was a one of the criticisms said oh look there's a picture of a you can see a picture of a of a a cast member like a grip or somebody in the reflection of the guy's helmet in the studio he's not wearing a spacesuit well he, he is wearing a spacesuit 
And um, when you push in and you do all the JPEG compressions, it's, you know, you, you look at it normally, it's like, where's the guy? All I see is the guy with the spacesuit. But then it occurred to me, you know, do you want to really do the whole moon landing fake with guys wearing fisheye mirrors on their faces? Just didn't seem to make much sense. Um, so, uh, yep, that's um, that's that. So uh, we had a, we had a really good time, uh, and and uh, and and uh, Jimmy was just a complete goof. He used to be a cab driver in New York. He told me, and um, and that raised my i didn't i'd never met him before even seen him before so when uh when i heard that i thought well there's a guy who's got some real world experience under his belt some sense of connection to reality um and uh yeah so there was that and then um uh, the night before that we had a small gathering for gary sinise uh, who's uh, going to be heading out to tennessee as well and that was kind of private, nice evening, and, and it was nice to feel that um, enthusiasm again, even though it was a very small, uh, kind of the tail end of what was once, you know, 1,800 conservatives in Hollywood. Uh, it was still really charged, you know, just energizing. Gary Sinise the best man I know. I told him that. We went around the room, uh, everybody thanking him for everything he'd done for all of us and giving us a place to go. Um, and... Um, and he's going through some rough times now, and uh, just in terms of you know health and not his health, his family health and stuff, and um, and everybody just got a chance to kind of you know just go around like we used to do and you know say what we think. And I just said, Gary, I'll, I'll just I I think verbatim what I said was uh, I was talking with Steve Amerson who sings the Star Spangled Banner in in a way that should be constitutionally required from this point forward. Before he arrived, it was sort of a surprise party for Gary. And before he showed up, and this was at um, the Reagan Library, which is spectacular. And Natasha had never seen it before. The Air Force One there, and it's just it's unbelievable. And I was talking with Steve Emerson uh, before Gary arrived, and he was saying, you know, there's so many people have left L.A. And he was saying, um, you know, what's it going to be like in this town without Gary's spirit here? Because that's really what it was. I mean, it got us through started in 2007 that's where i met jeremy and all, all of that stuff uh and he said what would it be like you know what's it going to be like without his presence here and i thought about that for a second i thought you know it's it's it feels like sailing out of sight of land for the first time you know it's not like i'm gonna panic or anything but there is a sense of um reassurance when you're Got the coast in sight, and uh, and he provided that. So I told him that's what I that's what I felt. I said, uh, look, I think name dropping is really vulgar and insecure and and just plain tacky. So when it comes to your name, Gary, I try not to do that more than you know four or five times a week. And uh, people ask in in the live shows in Stratosphere Lounge, what's Gary Sinise like? And I'll tell you what I tell them. You know, you are the best man I know. He really is. He's just the best man I know. He's just so grace, gracious and graceful, humble, personable. Everybody there said that the one thing that they all had in common with him was that, um, was that every time they, they talked to Gary, especially the first time they talked to Gary, 
Gary give you the impression that you're the only guy in the room and you have his whole attention and, and it's all sincere and um, and he's uh, he's just a, a remarkably good man and um, and what he did out here was wonderful and what he does for the troops is even more wonderful and you know lieutenant Dan Dan band goes around and plays all around the world and he don't just do kind of like the prestige spots you know like you know, Afghanistan or Iraq or even Guantanamo Bay, he, um, he'll he play, you know, he'll play, you know, McCord Air Force Base or Warner Robins or something. He just goes out there wherever people are and, and he gives them the same kind of attention and care that we all get. And, uh, and I was just sitting there just really, really, really proud to know the guy and proud to consider him a friend. And uh, he's just a terrific, terrific man. I was sitting with Adam Baldwin, who I hadn't seen since uh, 2020 election. He's he's a bright guy too, and and just a lot of fun. So that's my name dropping for the week. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to the moon landing thing. I'm not going to be. It's not going to just be the two of us. Obviously, they've interviewed a bunch of other people. They did man on the street interviews and stuff. Uh, Jimmy came at it like. Uh, he he really does believe in it. Obviously, in person that it really happened, but he came at it like. He used to believe in it, and now he's not sure, so he started asking me all these questions. And, uh, and just, you know, I was just very happy that I was ammoed up for that because when I got the radiation question, it was like, wow, that's a serious charge, you know? Um, that's a, that's a, and not only a serious charge, it's also a provable charge. I mean, that is, that is a, that's a, that's a moon landing blocker for sure. So, um, how much radiation would they have taken if they'd gone through the Van Allen radiation belts? You know, it's a le lethal dose, but what would the dose have been? And Jimmy's sitting there, you know, oh, I don't know. Well, then just tell me what a lethal dose is. You know, just give me that number. Nothing. And I said, see, this is the thing, right? You get, when you don't articulate your theory, when all you do is shoot at somebody else's theory, no matter how many times you answer, you just move on to the next tar target, but you don't get to. You don't have to defend your position because your your position is never articulated. It was it was faked, really? By the way, um, this this whole thing, yeah, it was faked by Stanley Kubrick. You know, Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing. So it's kind of ironic, actually, because um, if you look at 2001: A Space Odyssey, there's only a couple shots of being out on the moon and those shots are are completely wrong he got the moon completely wrong he's got he's got that old version of the moon where everything's got kind of these jagged edges you know and and real kind of steep cliffs and and and, and the moon looks nothing like that so i thought that was kind of interesting um so uh anyway so the yeah so the the van allen thing i know i've mentioned this in detail but uh, for those of you who didn't hear it earlier, so it, they're saying they took a lethal dose. It turned out that um, that they took, uh, you know, 4,000 millisieverts would be, it's 400 rad. That's enough to kill 50% of people within 30 days. You get 400 rad exposure, half of those people will die within 30 days without medical care. Now, 400 rad was NASA's um, upper end of um, allowable radiation, which is pretty high upper end. If they had been, if they had been in space during a, a solar flare, and that solar flare was aimed directly at us, then.
then the theoretical limit is they could have taken 380 red, which would have been very, very, very dangerous. If that solar flare had happened while they were on the moon, they would have immediately lifted off and gotten in the command module, which is much more heavily shielded than the limb. But anyway, uh, they ended up taking about 1% of the, less than 1% of the fatal dose. So when he said, I don't know what the fatal dose is, I say, well, 4,000 millisieverts is generally considered to be 50% of those people dies. Let's call that, that was the Apollo limit. So 4,000 millisieverts, and I think the most exposure that was taken was, uh, I say Apollo 14, I want to say it was 1.6 out of 4,000. Um, and uh, if, if uh, Apollo 11 had orbited 1,000 miles the Earth above the Earth in the center of the uh, worst part of the Van Allen belt in terms of radiation, they would get a fatal dose in about a week. And they went through that belt in 15 minutes, which is less than a week. So there was that. Um, by the way, I, I also happened to have, it was nice to be able to pull it out. Um, when we got to the whole thing about, you know, it's a propaganda thing, you know, uh, to, to fool the Soviets into thinking we won uh, the Cold War. And I said, that, that's an interesting theory. Take a look at this. I had my phone there. I was like, this is the uh, cover of Pravda. It's the official Communist Party news magazine, July 22nd. 1969, that's two days after the moon landing. And look, right there in the front center of, of Pravda is an article congratulating the Americans on landing on the moon, talking about what a difficult mission it was, talking about um, the kind of expertise that it took. And I kind of find it unusual to, to think that if the Russians were the target of all of this, that they wouldn't have been howling about the fact that there's no, you know, that the Apollo command module is still in orbit because they have radar too and we have to go through all of this again you, we, we've talked about all this before anyway i had a really lot of fun doing it so that was that um i'm going to try and catch up on the questions here um yeah mobile moto says they all beat the average life expectancy by a fair margin um what was his uh, who was it um uh, that was uh, 1415 was um, Scott Irwin. I think, I think Warden, I think, died the youngest at 66 of cancer, 66. Uh, and every other Apollo astronaut has died of old age. Think about that for a minute. I'm somewhat curious to know um, uh, whether or not um, there will be a break in the chain. Um, what I mean by that is, if I, as I recall, there are now four moonwalkers still alive, and they're all in well into their 90s. And so my kind of just general curiosity will be, will SpaceX get to the moon in time for there to have always been moonwalkers alive since 1969. Um, yeah, Aldrin, Scott, Schmidt, and, and Charlie Duke. So I certainly hope so. I hope that um, I hope that they get there before the last of the Apollo guys go. I'd like to I'd like to think at least one Apollo astronaut, at least one, would get a chance to watch somebody else, you know, step off on the moon. I think that would be um, more than more than fair. Um, but anyway, we'll see. All right, so um, let me see if I can get to the questions here.
still have a number of shows that I have to catch up on in terms of posting and things, so um, I'm a little uh, behind the curve here today. worst part of getting old for me anyway and I've been very lucky in terms of my health is, is this vision I'm just so sick of not being able to see things you know it's like I, I, I've got some paper some just some regular letter and it's right in front of me and I can't read it I have to go walk around and try and find these glasses it just I guess I should just commit to wearing them all the time but it just it's just there's nothing more frustrating than not being able to see something that's right there you know it's really annoying um, Okay, so let's see here. Uh, uh, Joe Roth. Rotha. Rotha. Sorry, Joe. I hope I got one of those right. Hi, Bill. Hope you're well. Thank you very much. With this relentless attack on Trump in his second nonsense indictment, it's hard for me to put into words how angry I am at this point. I agree. I also feel like Republican leaders aren't outraged enough and aren't really defending Trump, and the ones that speak out are lukewarm at best. I also agree. At this point, I want revenge. I agree, too. I want the Democrats and the uniparty elites to suffer. I don't care anymore if we stoop down to their level. If we don't get back at these people, then things like this will never end again, 100%. Dinesh D'Souza says we need to get back at them threefold and do to them what they do to us, and I agree. If they put Trump in jail, I will vote for him 10 times if I have to. I agree. I think we should all fill out 10 ballots and send them in and give them a taste of their own medicine. When Trump wins, he should start relentlessly taking all these people down and just absolutely destroy their lives. I want blood now. What say you? Are you as angry as I am? I am as angry as you are, and and I think the I think the main issue here is the business about am I ang angry enough to vote more than once? And I tell you right now, as I sit here, I am. The, we have a system that works. They change the system because without the system, with the system in place, they can't have their power. And so, and so they change the system, and they often change it illegally. They always change it, um, you know, inauspiciously, under cover of night. So once I saw people saying you can, once I saw a state law saying you can vote after the election is over. I think Pennsylvania, right, said you can still have a vote, send your vote in three days after the so-called election day. When it got to that point, I just said, okay, all right, all right. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll vote 30 times. And um, and I'll make, and if the system is as corrupt as I suspect it is, I'll make Joe Biden have to get 150 million votes to win the election in 2024. And even that might wake up some people. Uh, and the reason I'm at this point, as I guess you are too, is uh, earlier today, I mean, it's not like this just happened, it's just another step in the thing, but earlier today I saw a clip, I think from yesterday, of, of Ted Cruz grilling the uh, assistant director of the FBI, saying, uh, we have reports that there are 17 audio tapes of a reliable informant that the FBI has used before um, with the Ukrainian uh, gas company. 
saying that, and, and he said that you have 17 recordings of voice recordings of, of Joe and Hunter Biden talking about a $5 million bribe, which he got. And and Ted Cruz said to the, um, the assistant director of the, F, of the FBI, he said, um, do you have those recordings? And this guy had the audacity to say, I'm, I'm not going to get into that with you, Senator. And I've seen this kind of stonewalling for years now since Biden was elected. You know, you, you know, what is a woman? Well, I'm not a biologist. Well, answer the question. Well, Senator, with as if, you know, it's just these people need to be thrown in jail for contempt of Congress. And until they are, nothing's going to change. But this guy from the FBI just kept saying, I'm not going to tell you whether or not we have these things. This is the Senate um, Oversight Committee. This is these are the people that have the legal authority, presumably, to um, to enforce this stuff. And I suppose there's just not enough votes to get a contempt of Congress vote. I mean, I, I actually don't know how that process works. But when somebody is asked a direct question and they don't answer under oath when they've been called in to testify, this is what the Congress is there for. I don't think you get to say, no, I just decide I'm not going to answer. I'm just, no, we're not going to get into that. The nerve of that, the nerve. Um, and, uh, and I just, you know, where, where does this thing end? You know, T Ted was talking about, I go home and, and, and people in Texas, Texas patriotic part of the country. These are, these are law and order people. Um, so people are asking me all the time, should we abolish the FBI? And I say, no, because there are heroes out there who are stopping child predators and terrorists and all the rest of it. But the damage that you are doing to the institution is immeasurable now will you will you answer whether or not these no i'm sorry no no senator not not going to get into it with you i'm not going to not going to do it which is the first time i've ever heard anybody say that usually they do the well senator as i said before we are using established protocols that have been in place for many years over both uh, republican and democratic administrations and within the confines of those uh, particular procedures uh, we're not at liberty to discuss them at this moment although we can certainly circle back to you at a later point and um and give you the information that you're looking for you blah 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 blah, blah. it's like this is a yes or no question no yes no it's like you're just gonna walk out of here so yeah if this is if this is if every single legal recourse peaceful legal recourse fails because they are so convinced they can get away with it then okay then this i'm not going to bring up the guadalcanal thing again other than to say you know Yeah. Oh, look. Uh, uh, AOC says, oh, look, multiple voices, um, multiple votes from a known Republican. We, the Democrats, in order to protect our democracy, declare all votes for Republicans invalid. We win. Uh, yeah. And, and Eric says, fire all the top brass at the FBI. Yes. But in order to do that, you have to have you have to have the, the, the control of the government. And, and they are effectively blocking any attempt to change the control of the government so and and a significant amount of this is on us you know i don't know how many people didn't show up in 2022 but i know that a lot of people didn't show up in 2022 and um i don't know what to say about that 
but in answer to your question um honestly joe yes i am uh yeah if, the, if that's how you want to play games then okay that's what we'll do vote harvesting all that stuff if we have to harvest votes and vote 30 times in order to restore a system where vote harvesting and multiple voting is illegal again and impossible again then then that's what we have to do and that's the that's the the great moral conundrum when you run into people who are cheating what do honest people do when they're cheating if you have rules to stop cheaters but if the cheaters have taken over the enforcement of those rules now the question is what do you do if you continue to play by the rules you're going to lose and and it's not a question of going to lose, meaning like, well, gee, it's another loss. It's like, no, goodness goes away and and freedom goes away and all the rest of those things. So uh, it's not my first choice or my second or my 30th choice, but they're leaving us very few options now. And frankly, uh, I don't see how they can have a problem with vote harvesting because that's what they basically push through. So... I just say, all right. So they, they know that we're law and order people. They know that it makes us that we are that we are biologically inhibited from cheating because of our um, our psychological makeup. We're, they know that we find this whole cheating to be repugnant and, and repulsive, and we believe it destroys the system. And so they're counting on us not to cheat back. And that's um, been a pretty uh, solid bet for them so far. Although, um, I don't know. I think I think this um, transgender thing is a decapitation strike against reality, and and the entire idea of reality. And I think this is a bridge too far. I think they've gone too far, too fast. Right now, there's a tremendous, real, authentic pushback, and whether that turns into um, you know, a change in the voting in 2024, I don't know. Um, I do know that uh, that right now my main concern is no longer prevention, it's, it's restoration, and if restoration uh, has to wait, then it'll be um, pers um, preservation. And then let them have the, you know, I don't mean let them have it, if, if it turns out that that they're able to cheat their way into um, getting the kind of world that they want, then all right, they get the world that they want. And I think the good people need to just stay as far away from them as possible, and let them have their, you know, let them have their uh, formerly beautiful cities just covered in needles and human filth. And there you go. That's your. That's what you voted for. That's what you get. That's really where I am. That's where you voted for. That's what you get. And um, and 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 that's where it is but wheels are coming off fast i don't think there's any question about that and and every time i think about that and how scary that is i think better the wheels to come off fast than for the wheels to come off slowly uh, it really is um really is it okay um Let's see, is it uh, from Road Rider here? Uh, Bill, skip my question. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. Oh, why not? It's related to what we just did. I'm mad at what happened in 2020. I live in Central California, and the country's a hotbed of commies, and that's not hyperbole. No, it's not. 
We used to joke that the University of California, Santa Cruz, you could get degrees in underwater basket weaving. UCSC makes UC Berkeley look conservative. The county continues to go deeper and deeper. D, I want to true the vote, make sure that there's no cheating, but it's useless with the numbers here. So aside from my vote and my wife and daughters, the rest of the country, the county votes D. No need to cheat here. They just have the numbers. What, if anything, can I do? Volunteer in a swing district outside of the state? Just give money to true the vote? Feeling a bit lost. Um, well, it's kind of related to what we were talking about earlier, you know. Uh, whenever I get into this situation, uh, I stop and and remember uh, something that was pointed out to me back in 2010 or something. I was just about to do a an event in um, Beverly Hills uh, when the Tea Party was really starting to get going, and somebody said the largest cons the largest group of Republicans anywhere in the country is the Los Angeles uh, Republican voting base. That's the largest single group of Republicans in the country in terms of numbers by, you know, area. Los Angeles has more Republicans than uh, any other city in terms of numbers and all the rest of it. And I thought, well, that's interesting, isn't it? If, if these people don't come out, if, if we don't come out, then we get what we deserve. And I'm not I don't know what to do about this. This is a fight I've been having from the very, very beginning. You know, this business of, uh, well, you know, I don't like his position on that, so I'm going to sit this one out, or I can't vote for anybody who this, or you. Okay, all right, well, here's the result of that. And I still get arguments from people saying, it doesn't matter, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to vote for somebody who, um, who I disagree with on this issue or that issue. And it's just a difference of, of opinion. I, I understand where they're coming from. You know, I, I really do. I don't want to be a party to it. I don't want to vote for it. It's kind of like, you know, I don't want to get taxed for abortions either. But um, if your attitude is you don't want to, you have a moral problem with uh, voting for somebody who you disagree with on one issue, and if you stay home for that, then you're going to get somebody who you disagree with on every issue and have a much larger moral um, opposition to than I, I've always just, keep coming back to the lesser of two evils is the lesser of two evils, and that's how I would go on these things. So, um, you know, we'll see. Um, and uh, I guess we'll, we'll figure out what's going to happen when that we should know soon enough. Um, okay. All right, so um, uh, from Eric Blake, uh, traditional... Um, Vectron greetings and stuff. Uh, there are several pundits on our side, Ben in particular, who are constantly swearing up and down that the Democrats want Trump to be the nominee because they think they can beat him. I hear this argument and go, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. If they want Trump to be the nominee, then why are they so desperately trying to take him out before the nomination? Am I missing something here, Bill? Because it sure looks to me like they're afraid to run against him. The only one who isn't is Biden, and he's not exactly a rational being. Um... Your argument makes perfect sense. I mean, if you want Trump to run, to run, if you want Trump to be the nominee, then the last thing you do is is are these indictment things, unless they know that they're not going to stick and that it's designed to get 
the Trump supporters enough rallied to get Trump to be the nominee, and then they think they can win in the general election. I don't know. My experience has been is that people who seem to be playing four-dimensional chess, they're, they're not even playing two-dimensional chess. Uh, they're this giant, you know, plan within a plan within a plan thing. It just doesn't, it just doesn't seem to be feasible to me. Although I've, God knows, I've been uh, been wrong about this in the past too. I mean, a lot of been a lot of uh, unpleasant uh, reevaluation of evidence for me in the last several years, and I'm sure for you as well. Um, there's no question that there's a, a coup going on. There's no question that when the government is weaponized against the American people to the degree that they will simply under oath say, no, I'm not going to answer your question, so what are you going to do about it? That's really where we are. The federal law enforcement agency is called in for oversight and asked a question by a sitting U.S. senator, and this unelected bureaucrat says, yeah, no, I'm not going to tell you anything. With impunity. And what, and what can they do? Nothing, apparently. I like it if somebody could explain to me what the procedure is for bringing your own contempt of Congress charges. Does that have to pass? Uh, yeah, I mean, what does it take? I'm assuming it's going to take more a 51% vote of the um, Senate, and we don't have 51%. Um, and so the corruption just continues. And, you know... There were a couple of uh, there were a couple of choices for the Senate in 2020 that were not the very best people in all the land. Um, I I love Ted Cruz personally. I love watching him in action. I think he's got tremendous integrity. I think he'd make an excellent Supreme Court justice. I mean, world class. I think he'd be on Scalia's level. Um, and Josh Hawley actually. If I could pick a presidential candidate right out of the air, that's who I would choose. I'd choose Josh Hawley for, for, for president. That would be my candidate. Because that guy is articulate. He's deviously polite. I've seen him challenge these people so many times, and he's just very personal about how he does it. You know, He's really tough, but he's not... He's really, really tough, but he's not nasty. And and he's you know young good looking guy and I think Josh would be just freaking awesome. I think he would be a fantastic uh, uh, presidential candidate. And I would just love to see him um, get out there. But he's not going to run against Trump. He's not an idiot. And uh, and I really would like to see some kind of. Um, Somebody like that, you know, I'd like to see somebody who understands the rules. Every time I see guys like, um, you know, uh, Senator Kennedy or, or Hawley or, or Ted or, or one or two others, when I see these guys doing their job in, in the Congress, I say, well, we're not, you know, the system's not completely corrupt yet. Um, and, uh, and these guys are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I remember feeling that way with Trey Gowdy during the Obama years. It's like, you know. Two or three guys in the whole Congress are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, uh, Louis Gohmert, uh, Jim Jordan, all of that stuff. Um, so uh, I just would really like to see, I would really like to see these people who come in there and stonewall 
and just openly defy congressional oversight, I want to see them go to jail for contempt of Congress. There's nothing else there. It's not like you could be investigating them for corruption, and if they refuse to answer, then okay, well, the corruption charges go unproven. We'll work on those later, but right now you're going to go to jail for, for uh, contempt of Congress. And, and I think we need to keep... Look, when there's no punishment for crime, kids, then you're going to get all the crime you want. Every now and then I'll just kind of stumble on a YouTube, not so much a video as a, I don't know, a, a, a flavor. And for a couple of days I was watching a lot of these police body cams where they're pulling over mostly young women who are in their 20s and they're saying, get out of the car. And, you know, it takes them 20 minutes to argue them to get out of the car. And then they say, okay, well, you know, you know, once or twice they've got a gun drawn on them because the person's doing 125 in a 30 zone. That's no exaggeration. Okay, put your hands over your head. Why? Because I said so. Put your. Will you explain to me why? Why do I have to put my hands over my head? And I'm thinking, you know, these are fully grown children, and and when I hear them making those kind of arguments, you can't arrest me or let me go. No, you're under arrest. No, I let me go. Let me go. Let me go. No, I. You can't do this. Let me go. I just every time I I, I see these people, I just think, man, I wish we had. Um, some of those Irish cops who were walking the beat in New York City in the 1890s with their little billy clubs just swinging around the wrist, you know, top of the morning to you kind of thing. Um, and so you see these people doing, literally doing 125 in a 30 zone, resisting arrest, spitting on policemen, uh, all of this stuff. And then you find out that, that they, um, thank you, Monk Semper, to you too. Um, and then, and then you find, well, what happened to them? Well, they dropped the felony charges, they got misdemeanor charges, and they did four months of community service. Like, you know, honestly, seriously, what do you expect is going to happen? Well, the prisons are all full. Well, then build some more frickin' prisons then, you know? That's, you know, just build, I have an idea. Why don't you take the schools that are no longer functioning as schools, why don't you make those prisons? Educate those kids out in, in um, drag uh, clubs if you want to. They can get their lessons in the, in the drag clubs, and you can turn the, the former schools into prisons. You put the bad guys in there, and, and then when it turns out that this generation of people who've never been told no actually go to jail for a year or two, then things would probably clean up pretty quick. I think they'd clean up pretty quick. Um, but no. So it's just... It's just, it just, it just, law, the, 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 they first they went for the media, and then they went for the schools, and then they went for, uh, you know, law enforcement. They went for the attorney generals and attorneys general and the FBI, and, and now there's no law enforcement. And so what do you expect is going to happen? And, and when these people who do 125 in a 30 zone and they do get arrested and they go to jail and then they're out on bail the next day and they have to do, you know, pay $1,600 in fine, which their parents will pay for or something. It not only doesn't inhibit them from doing this in the future, it just makes them more certain that they can get away with whatever they want to. Um, and I don't know what, I don't know what this is. This is the age of inaction. Everybody knows it's something, everybody just knows what has to be done and and everybody just sits around and watches it happen. I don't know what to do about that. 
Uh, Steve Whoop says, most sheriffs are still on our side. Yes, I remember during the Tea Party days when I learned really about sheriffs and never really understood what they were until until Obama became president. Um, I just thought they were essentially county um, police chiefs. But no, they are the they are the law, and they have the option to enforce or not enforce the law. And while that seems to be a problem on the federal level, I guess it all comes down to whether you believe in law and order or not, because a good sheriff will enforce the law in his um, district. And if he gets a law saying you must confiscate everybody's guns, then he'll just say, no, not going to do it. That's that's a real, real important um, circuit breaker on the way to full-on tyranny. Um, yeah, Mobile Moto says police chiefs serve at the pleasure of the mayor in most cities. Yes, absolutely. Uh, sheriffs have my undying respect. I, I didn't know anything about sheriffs until, you know, well, 12 years ago now, I guess. And then, you know, it's, it's fantastic. Um, we had, um, there better be some consequences for, for corruption and bribery and lying and speeding, that kind of speeding, and uh, resisting arrest and all of these other things, and if there and shoplifting and public urination and all those things, and if there are no consequences for it, you're going to get more of it. And this isn't an accident. It can't be. It can't be an accident. It's the, the, it's obvious to everybody what's going on. They're doing it on purpose. And when I see guys like this FBI guy, I, he had had the exact same um, kind of smug sort of oiliness that that Struck had. Um, that kind of, I don't have to answer to you. I'm, I'm, I'm a member of the FBI, and we know what's better for the country than you do, and, and we mean to, um, to enforce it. Well, what about the people? The people's oversight of the FBI. The people are idiots. They don't know anything. And um, fortunately for the people, uh, we and the FBI are here to tell them uh, the right way to vote. And if it turns out they make another mistake like they did in 2016, then we will use our uh, significant powers to um, make sure that the American people don't vote incorrectly again in the future. I saw, I mean, I just spent five, six months living with the checkup, and what I saw today from that Ted Cruz was questioning yesterday, um, that's, a, that's an American checkist. That's what he is. He's a checkist. He's a, he's a member of the secret police who is unanswerable to anybody and who is convinced that he is the... Um, is the law of the of the it's a law because he thinks it is so oh, i like that line actually uh, kaiwan f8 says just steer into the skid it's all you can do that's a really marvelous 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 thing to say and that's the first time i remember hearing that name that is absolutely right um steer into the skid yeah that's all you can do and and not give up so once again on the virtue signal today i just you know was talking about yeah just got another big kind of smack in the face disappointment and and you know and what do you do about that it's like you know you just you just keep going there's just i i i suspect in the end that's the ultimate in fact, I know in the end, from what I've studied about war, that's the ultimate determinant of what the future is going to be. The war is won by the people who will not surrender. The war is won by the people who keep fighting until they win. 
and um, and God knows we sure have taken a beating and a morale beating. We take it every day, and we, we continue to watch the situation deteriorate. And that seems like it's a big advantage for them, but what it also tells me is is that they're not used to, to losing, and when they do lose, they don't know what to do, and I don't think they have the resiliency that we do because, well, I know they don't have the, cause they don't have the character, and they don't have the... Um, they've never been confronted before. They're being confronted now. And when school kids are tearing down pride flags and when they're having protests and they're saying, my pronouns are USA, that is beginning to be a, a, an actionable moment. Whether or not the Republicans will be able to take advantage of that, I don't know, and it essentially is irrelevant. Um, my virtue signal today is called abdication because when I got back from this uh, disappointing uh, trip, I, I realized that the reason I was feeling so uh, gobsmacked by it was because I had abdicated uh, the responsibility of... Um, I had expected somebody else to do some some of the help, you know. And, and I don't want to do everything by myself. But if I have to, I will. And... Uh, and so, you know, you just, I'm just, so saying to Zoe, you know, suffering um, builds character, and I just want to, you know, I, I think I've got enough character now. I've, uh, God, I've, I think, honestly, I really do believe I've got about as much character as I could possibly want. Um, can, the, can the, you know, my morale is improving, can the beatings please stop? Um, and I know, I know that God is not beating me, I live this unbelievable life and, and and all of that but these just these constant setbacks are just you know they're just especially when it's you know from our team you know it's just just i don't know what to i don't know what to do about that other than to just say well okay well tomorrow let's just wake up and do it again so that's what we do among the training for super chat says people don't stand for good because we've disincentivized it the solution is to incentivize individuals to action yes there are always going to be people um who are going to just slide and and the people who don't let things slide have to enforce the rules to stop the other people from sliding and the ones who are actively trying to destroy the system those people need to be fought uh, really tooth and nail and they need to um face the consequences of their actions in a court of law. That's the way I feel about it. Um, all right. Uh, let's see what we got here. So I've got four paragraphs from uh, Marusha, and I'm just not going to read the four, a four-paragraph question. I'm, I'm not trying to single you out. I'm just not going to do it. It's, it's, it's not a question, and... Um, and it's not fair to the uh, to the other people here, so I'm sorry. Um, we're just going to have to keep these things down to under, you know, a few thousand words. Um, uh, Chris Taylor here. Uh, let's talk about the moon landing hoax. Let me just see if there's anything that I didn't cover. Uh, 
Uh, Chris, most most I think that most everything you put in there we we've already talked about when I talked about the moon landing thing because he's got some some um, uh, things about the moon landing and, and Marcia's question was also about the moon landing and I think I'm kind of moon landing out here so uh, to start with you I'll just uh, just push on and try and get to some of the rest of these from Jacob Belchek. Hey Jacob, how are you? Uh, hail Bill, hail Jacob. Said a few times that you think the Constitution is written as one of the most perfectly crafted documents to have ever existed. While I agree with you, I find it lacking in one thing, namely any significant teeth against people who try to subvert it. As an example, the Biden OSHA tries to set a rule down mandating COVID vaccination for all businesses with 100 or more employees. This is blocked by the Supreme Court, rightly so, but there is no consequence for the people who tried to push it in the first place. They remain in the same place, doing the same job, and have no problem biding their time to try again. This appears to be a problem so obvious to me that I can't imagine that the framers didn't also see it. So why didn't they include this mechanism for government self-police? Were we the people intended to be that punishment instead? Yes, precisely that. Precisely that. And when I went looking for this too, it's like, where, where's the enforcement here? What do you do when you have a corrupt government? And the Constitution, the founders are clear about that. They said, well, that's why we gave you the House of Representatives. You know, you sw- every two years, you can just throw every single one of them out. You, you, not only can you throw them out, they are dependent on your acquiescence to do another two years or six or four or whatever. And they believed that the people would be the defenders of the Constitution and not, the, not, not just the other way around. And, and if they had not thought that and had put all of these rules into place and punishments into place, I don't think the document would have been the same. This is the un- most unpleasant realization of all. This is the most disheartening realization of all, and that is that we allow this to happen. Um, it's not their job to stop them from cheating. You know, They're going to cheat. That's what they do. And... And we just walked away from it. And when I think about things like the truckload of votes that showed up on Al Franken's um, election uh, in Minnesota, and you know, four or five hundred votes in a 50-50 election, every single one of them for Al Franken, that's statistically impossible. And it just, you know, it just happened. The problem is, is that our side is not only their best minds go into politics, ours don't. And and we don't we we are I, I still think the ultimate source of our problems here are is that we do not understand who we are dealing with here. I think far too many people still think that this is a political um, battle. It's not. It's a moral battle. It's a spiritual battle. It's a uh, philosophical battle. It's the difference between right and wrong. It's not the difference between Republican or Democrat. It's now at the point where it's like, it is literally the lawfulness versus lawlessness. That's it. That's where we are now. And I think until people begin to realize this, that this is no longer about politics, and it hasn't been since the election of Barack Obama at the latest. I think Bill and Hillary put a lot of this groundwork in place um, but you know the, the the this this business about about you know having our children being told that you know they can go to school and secretly change their gender without their parents being aware of it 
Uh, that's not politics, in my opinion. That's way, way, way beyond politics. And again, you see these woke teachers on TikTok saying, I don't care what the law says. I'm still going to teach them critical race theory. I'm still going to teach them queer theory. I'm going to do all those things. And why do they say things like that? Well, they say things like that for the same reason that the FBI assist director says, no, I'm not going to answer that question. I just don't feel like it. Uh, because there's no consequences, right? There's no consequences for them. The worst that could happen is that they'd be fired, and they're almost certainly not going to be fired. But, you know, when somebody comes out, I, I, I think a, a short-term solution, not even a solution, a, sh a short-term uh, weapon would be, I think, every public school classroom should have a, a live web webcam at all times. And I want to know what the problem with that is. I don't think that adults should have a live webcam on them at all times, but I think in public schools, I think it should be... I can't think of anything that, that's being taught in a, in, a, in a public school that should not be available for people to see. Uh, right? I mean, you should be able to watch your kids fourth grade um, mathematics class while you're um, vacuuming the house you know uh, or while you're on your lunch break you should be able to just drop in and just see and hear what these kids are being told i don't see any civil uh, violations civil rights violations there because they're children and um and they don't have a right to privacy yet uh, but I would just, I don't see any reason why that would not be a, a great idea. We should, yes, Faithless says the teacher should be on camera and audio at all times in class. Obviously, that's what I mean. I mean the teacher. I don't need to see the students. I need a camera on the teacher. I need to see what they're writing on the board, and I need to hear what they're saying. And I need it. I need the ability to record it. Um, there should just be a button, just like on, like on Skype calls. Do you wish to record this conversation? Yes. Teachers should be notified legally in writing that you are being recorded and that everything you say in that classroom is going to be recorded. And we are going to, I mean, how often, how many times have you had that happen to you? How many times have you called the bank or, or an airline or something? You know, this call is being monitored and recorded for quality purposes, for quality assurance purposes, for training purposes. Okay. But they have to advise me that their conversation, that my conversation is being recorded. So just tell them, hey, we're recording this. Uh, and then, and then, then you have the internet working for you instead of against you, because then you've got the power of um, open source. You've got in a classroom of thirty or forty people. Let's just say there's thirty parents available, and let's say that one or two of them are just constantly on the job. Then you know, there you go. Uh, Aesop says, wouldn't that protect the teacher, too, from a maladjusted student? Yes, but the students are the ones who are adjusted. It's the teachers who are maladjusted. Yes, you're absolutely right. Any, look, this is why police wear, this is why virtually all policemen now wear body cams, because of after, um, after the, uh, the Floyd incident, it's like, and, and frankly, I don't know why they didn't do this earlier, because I've seen a number of situations where it looked like, oh, good, here comes another riot, but you got body cam footage. Here's a guy pointing a gun at a policeman. He fires back. It's a lot tougher to start a riot when you can put that on TV. Um, 
And uh, these people are in public schools, and um, and we're paying for them. And there are police. I'm sorry. And there are um, our children, and we have a right to be told. We have a, not to be told. I don't want to be told. I want to listen to it. I want to hear it. Um, and uh, Mobile Moda says you, you have a duty to validate someone else's, um, you have no duty to validate someone else's mental illness. That's exactly what it's about. You get these 24-year-old, um, you know, children who who have to sit there. And, 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 and if you watch the TikToks and, and watch what they say, they'll say things like, um, I came out, you know, to my kids today and told them that, you know, as a, a woman teacher, I told them that I broke up with my girlfriend and that, you know, and that so on and so on and so on. And all the kids went, oh, we're very sorry for to hear that, you know, Miss uh, um, Jones or they or them, whatever their pronouns are. And, and, and they're just a glow because – and they'll say, my kids, you know, my kids validated me. My kids made me feel good today because – because they were upset at something that happened in my personal life that I told them about that I was upset about too. And it's like, you people aren't just politically ignorant and destructive. You're mentally ill. You are, you are mentally ill. If you have to have a, a group of, of, of two second graders telling you that what you did is okay, then you've got a real problem. And... Um, And so, yeah. So you, you know, how hard we, we we talk about you know national elections and presidential elections and 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 vote rigging and cheating and all the rest of it. But honestly, I don't think that they've got gigantic cheating machines built into the school board system. We just simply need to vote these bastards out of the school board and fire these people. And. And that's something that just requires a little bit of time. You know, that's the thing P.J. O'Rourke talked about in Parliament of Horrors. He, he spent the whole book talking about how horrible government can be. And then at the end of it, he said, and who's responsible for all of this? We are. We just don't want to go to the trouble. We don't want to do it. So we let them do it. And then we cry about what they've done. So I would just say, um, yeah, webcams, every classroom. Nice little online directory of where you can watch each class. You go, go to the school's website, and it'll say, you know, click here to see second period science with, um, you know, with um, Ms. or Mr. Uh, Dickinson, and um, and you just click in and watch. And I think if that happened, we would be. Um, We'd at least be better informed as to what's going on, and and I think also it would definitely. I think there's no question it would serve as a bit of a brushback pitch to them too. I think if they knew that everything they were actually saying was being recorded, I think they'd be a lot more guarded about this. I think so much of what they do uh, and say, they do and say because they know that they can just get away with it, deny it, or prove it. You know, oh, here's your proof. And, and 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 it's not a question of what their politics are. I mean, not that you have to play fair with these people, but just because I do believe in playing fair. If a if a heterosexual teacher comes in and starts asking his second graders to tell them how they feel about 
about this uh, chick that he picked up last night, um, then that guy needs to be fired too. And and if anybody is talking about anything other than the subject that they're teaching, then then that's it. The NEA would never go for it, says uh, uh, Kaiwan F8. And I say, yes, of course they would never go for it. 100% That's why it has to be done. The NEA... So what would the NEA... Let's just play this out. Let's say that you got... You, that you gain control of a school board through elections, and you said we're going to put we're going to put uh, webcams in the classroom. So what would the NEA do? Would they go on strike? That would be the best possible outcome. Right? That'd be the best possible outcome. If they went on strike, then you would get what you had with the air traffic controller situation. You would have a uh, a short term shortfall. But that's actually a, a, a feature, not a bug. You know, it's better to have the kids not learning anything than learning what they're learning from these people. And, and then just, okay, you're going to go on strike and you're not going to supply teachers until this webcam goes. That's just an added benefit as far as we're concerned, right? You want to strike and pull your teachers out of school? That's kind of what we want. And then we should do what, we've been, what I've been talking about doing since 2009, which is the great single unused resource in this country is retired people. You know, there are people who are retired who are who are extraordinarily competent and skilled in what they do. They're not education uh, majors. If you had chemistry taught by a person who was a chemical engineer for 45 years, not only would they, the education be much better, they'd also bring the discipline that came with their time and their age with them, and also um, they would. Uh, I think most retired people would really appreciate something to do. Um, I think it would. I think it would be a win-win-win-win-win. And uh, and I think they'd be excellent role models. Uh, this is this Equibo says Zoomers and Alphas are the ones on school, and they uh, stage walkouts when conservatives ban LGBTQ. Then walk out. Walk out. This is where I'm getting to this business of. Um, preservation you know rather than prevention it's like you guys are determined to be as stupid as you can then we'll take the kids that still have it it's not that it's not that they're stupid that bothers me it's that they're not that it's not it's that they have no curiosity that scares me real bad i don't know how you take that away from people but i'm sure you can i'm sure if you indoctrinate them enough um so yeah get rid of the education Get, I would never, if it were up to me and I, was, and I was a member of a school board, my hiring criteria would be I don't hire anybody who's got an education degree. I hire chemists to teach chemistry. I hire physicists to teach physics. I hire, um, I hire writers to te- teach English. And I, uh, you know, and I, I just get people who, who know what to do. Marisha says homeschooling solves everything. It, the, the theory is sound, but the problem is, is that homeschooling is just not practical for a number of people, although it, God knows the stakes are getting higher and higher. Um, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but really ultimately what we need is we need to bring homeschooling into the schools. That's really what the solution is. We need to bring homeschooling into the schools. Um, I miss Cody Fett's super chat here. Bill, I'm sorry I'm late. So bringing up uh, Job in today's Virtue Signal made me wonder if you had read Job 38:31. Did I how did you know about that? Did I Did that get streamed? 
Surely not. Oldest book in the Bible, but that verse only makes sense if you have modern uh, astronomical knowledge. Um, maybe I mentioned, I don't know, that's strange. I hope I didn't, well, I don't care if I streamed it or not. See, there you go. Uh, I may have been on live camera while I was talking with Zoe, and I have no problem with that whatsoever. I don't say anything in private that I wouldn't be happy to say in public. Um, so, uh, look, I don't know why there are not hundreds of, of, of um, Hillsdale colleges everywhere. I don't know why there are not private academies that are that are essentially homeschooling cooperative ventures that would just, you know, we're going to rent a hall out. And we're just going to open our own school. We're going to call it homeschooling. We're just going to open our own school. That way we don't all have to be, that way not every single student needs one teacher. You just basically have, you, you have a big room and you hire people to teach these kids. It's like concierge medicine now, you know, this idea that, um, that, if you want medical care the way it used to be, instead of going through this whole insurance thing and all that stuff, you basically pay a, a doctor, an MD. I don't know what the number is. Let's say it's let's say it's let's say it's three hundred dollars a month for whatever. You pay him three hundred dollars a month every month, right? And he has a base of people that are paying him three hundred dollars a month every month. And for that three hundred dollars a month, for a twenty dollar copay or a forty dollar copay or whatever, because you don't want people coming in for free, because otherwise you just overload the system. Then um, oh, that episode was posted today. Right? Not well. I talked about. I guess we talked about Job today as well. Uh, so I guess a lot of Job going around. Um, these are Jobian times. Uh, anyway, I think I think you guys get the idea here. Uh, broke college student. Oh, I remember uh, somebody mentioned the term alphas, millennials, and then they're calling the next generation alphas. Uh, Z, sorry, millennials, Gen Zers, and now they're calling these new this next generation, the post Gen Z generation alphas, because they've run out of letters. Uh, no, these these kids are going to be the least alpha individuals that have ever lived on the face of the earth. Uh, they are going to be omegas, is what they're going to be. They're going to be the most psychologically dysfunctional, the most diseducated, the most patronized, the most infantile generation in human history. They are going to be as far from alphas as it is possible to be. Yep, I know it's a term. I know it's already out there, and I already hear parents say, "Oh, my 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 Erasmus is an is a is a is an alpha," and they're you know. They're the ones that are going to change the world because they don't just have indigo auras. They have auras that are invisible. They have ultraviolet auras that you can't see. Uh, and, yes, yeah, soy megas, Steve, exactly, the soy mega generation. Um, they call them whatever they want to. I, I have a, a, a good indication, I think, of what their... Um, what they're likely to turn out as if they follow the trend lines that have been going on and uh, and nothing is changing on an upper level fast enough to affect them right now anyway. Um, Eric Blake says Zoomers and Alphas are going to make us Millennials look like real Alphas by comparison. I suspect that's true. I think they should call them Covidians because that's going to be the defining that's going to be the defining 
uh, element of their lives. They're going to be the, the generation that grew up with COVID. They're going to be the ones that had the living daylight scared. Uh, Covidians, yeah, that's a better term. Covidians. Um, they're the ones who, who had their lives, you know, who were terrorized by adults, um, by their parents who were themselves children. Uh, the mortality rate for uh, kids under 20, and especially under 10, is zero. And um, and they are, you know, they're at that very early age when they're just first going out into the world to um, to go to school and stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, they're being swept into cars and and and, and put behind masks and 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 um, utterly convinced that the world is a deadly place that at any moment is just ready to rise up and strike you dead and that you have no defense against it other than to pray to the government and and do exactly what you're told and and you know this is the lesson that they learned because their parents were such miserable cowards and still are um, by uh, all accounts you know I still see people wearing masks I just I am so close to getting to the point where I just simply no longer can resist saying, you know, this, perhaps you hadn't heard, you know, this thing's over. You really have to be, I mean, if you don't wear a mask during a pandemic because you don't believe in it, then that's a position I can understand. That's a, at least a rebellious position, and its position had some science behind it and all the rest of it. To wear a mask when there's no need to is an indication that you're mentally ill, you know? If there's something fundamentally wrong with you, really, really wrong with you. I was in the airport yesterday. I saw this is a couple, uh, you know, uh, late, late middle-aged couple walking into the, uh, you know, the boarding area on, on the gate with their masks and their food, sitting down by the windows, and then taking the masks off so that they could eat their, uh, their you know, $21 chicken sandwiches. And then I'm thinking, so I guess the germs just took a time out. Yeah, uh, Quibo says Chinese wear masks before COVID. The flight attendant on, on the plane coming back, we had four flight attendants, and uh, one of them was an Asian woman, and she wore not only wore masks, she wore rubber gloves as well. So, okay, all right. Um, Coconut ED5 says, I have to restrain myself every time I see a family with masked young children. Yeah, that's actually, to me, that's, that's the, the difference, right? If you're an adult and you want to have a billboard, a flashing neon sign around your neck that says neurotic, then go ahead. That's your business. But I've been in airports now where I've seen uh, father, mother, and three kids, all of them wearing masks, the only ones wearing masks. And I just have to ask myself, what the hell do they say to what what kind of questions do these kids ask them and what do they say you know because the kids thought like they can't fail to realize it you know daddy why are we why why are we wearing masks when no one else is wearing masks well because son you know those 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 germs are out there and they're dangerous and these people are too stupid to know it okay you've got him completely terrified now no doubt it he's going to be just as neurotic as you are um and uh, yeah, infidel. What? What? Rubber gloves? I'm an auto ambulance jockey, and I only wear uh, gloves when dealing directly with patients. Well, this flight attendant was dealing was wearing gloves because she was dealing directly with other humans. And of course, 
the immune system is not able to handle that kind of a load. Um, was that flight attendant ill? Uh, why, why is she at work? She's at work because because it's the MAGA hat for the neurotic, right? It's just, it's an, it's a, it's an advertisement. Sacred Order of Knightly Valor, who continually makes lovely uh, super chat donations in yen, says here in Japan, the mask is a talisman. That's a good word for it. It's a talisman, it's a badge, it's, a, it's, it's anticipatory compliance, it's, um, it's primate behavior, you know? Macaques um, do um, uh, this kind of living to show um, submissiveness, just really fast when they when they're really scared and when they're when they're confronted by a you know powerful adversary. Just, they just keep doing it. That's what they do, and that's their way of showing that and turning around and showing their butts. That's their way of letting them know we're not going to argue with you. You're the boss. We're just we're just here for the ride. You, whatever you say, sir. And that's exactly what um, that's exactly what uh, what the mask wearing thing is. Woody Fool says anticipatory compliance. I'm stealing that. You could certainly have it. It's not mine. Um, I got that from a book that was recommended to me um, by somebody, uh, and I just get too much information fly through my head to ever remember the names, and it always bothers me that I don't. But somebody recommended I read a book called The Extermination of the European Jews, and it's this thick, and it's written by a European Jew. And um, and there's a lot in there. It's very dense reading. It's not an easy read. But that was where I heard the term anticipatory compliance. They said that in the in the camps and in the ghettos, you would think that when you issued that order that, you know, Jews have to wear an armband, you would think that that they would resent it, and they all did resent it. But the truth of the matter is that large numbers of Jews lined up, like the morning of, being, you know, it's kind of almost like sleeping on the curb, making sure that they're there the morning of that order so that they can be first in line to get their um, their armbands because that's anticipatory compliance. That's basically saying to the state that's trying to kill them, you don't have to kill me. I'm one of the good ones. You tell me to jump, I'll just say how high. I'll be the first one to do whatever you tell me to do. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. That's what anticipatory compliance is, and it's generated by terror. And I know a little about terror now, having spent as much time as I did with it in the Cold War and this this last one. And so that's what these people do. That It's a primate response, you know. They're just, they're just, just don't hit me, you know. Just don't, just don't hit me. Um, whatever it takes. And, um... And I think, strangely enough, uh, been a little interested in, in primate behavior, especially macaques. There, something really disturbing about macaques. I can't put my finger on. I don't know what it is, but but there's something about them that's just really, really disturbing to me. And and the reason I'm interested in them is because I think that that this lip smacking kind of appeasement is what generates the rage that makes bullies. I think that bullies are wired to smack the crap out of people that are willingly submissive. Please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. I think that just generates a, 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 a like a kill signal. 
in the brains of, of certain uh, certain people. And that's why I'm utter, I'm convinced this is true because I wish my dad had explained this to me a little more thoroughly. You know, I wish he hadn't said if a bully you know picks on you, you got to fight back. My feeling was, well, if I fight back, you know, he's just going to pound the snot out of me. But that's not what's happening here. Um, what's happening here is bullies are looking for weakness. They're they're trying to stomp it out of the herd, and and the business about why you have to fight back when you're confronted with a bully is not that you have to fight because if you fight back, normal people think, um, well, if I fight back, it's just going to make him angry. If I fight back, he's just going to hurt me worse. No, you fight back, and it's going to end. It's just going to stop. They're going to move on. They're going to move on. They're going to have. They're, they're going to have said, "Is this some part of them genetically is is following a very, 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 very ancient and deep uh, imperative that is saying to them, kill the weak." There's an evolutionary reason to do this. I've heard. Um, I heard. Really started thinking along these lines. I've heard many stories from animal breeders who say things to the effect of. If a colt is born with um, a deformed leg, let's say, all of the mares will surround this little colt and try and get it on its feet and, you know, and, and help it along and, and just, you know, protect it and kind of form a circle around it. And when a stallion sees that this that this colt has a deformed leg, they just charge into the middle of this thing and stomp them to death, which isn't pretty at all. And I'm not advocating this. Civilization is the ability to not act like animals, but that stallion is wired to do that because the stallion because evolution has told them that if you don't get the, these bad genes out of the gene pool then the entire herd will eventually have deformed legs that's why they do it and i think that bullying is is a, a, a exactly the same thing i just don't think people are fully aware of it but that's certainly what i my experience has been every time i see it when i look at bullies picking on kids the more the kids grovel the more pain they're going to get and they're going to continue to get pain until they stop groveling. And the Democratic Party is made up of grovelers and cowards. And um, and they will always, always smack their lips when faced with a threat. If it's communists or Islamicists or whatever, anything that's a threat to them, just submission, we're all yours, you know. We're all yours. Uh, and I'm not wired that way and you're not either. Um, and uh, it's you know these I, th I think the thing about macaques is they have somebody said that, that one of the things about macaques is that they occupy kind of the, the um, uncanny valley that they have that their expressions and even their hand gestures and, and things are so human and yet they're not human there's something I don't know. I've seen I've seen macaque mothers just beating the living crap out of their kids, smashing them against rocks, climbing up trees, and throwing them out of uh, out of um, high branches. And I just look at this and I just think, wow, how about that? You know, it's not not my favorite animal in the world. Uh, Cody Fett for ten dollars says there was a study released recently that showed that masks don't just don't work; they are in fact actively harmful all of them even the n95s of course you know absolutely all you're doing all day is breathing carbon dioxide at um at levels that you're not you're just doing nothing but breathing breathing you know i think this seven times more carbon dioxide than you're supposed to be breathing and 
and plus all the bacteria that are accumulating in those things it's just it's just nuts you know it's insane it's insane um here i missed to catch up on something here the stanford prison experiment showed yeah and um hang one second i'm just trying to catch up here my, my cats are fisty my girlfriend's family had has one in the philippines but they are different from county country to country there are aquatic and common yeah and they walk up to people and just steal stuff from them and, and attack them and take any kind of food because they've been fed before they are a, a, a strange combination of dexterity and just enough intelligence but they're certainly not chimps they're not even they're not even close to chimps and um yeah macaques masked macaques that's what they are they're mascacs or masks or i don't know probably a clever word in there somewhere i'm just not careful of finding it today oh that's an interesting point sacred order of knightly valor points out that the weak are likely to become traitors i never actually thought about that before that's actually a profound it's a profound insight but i know from personal experience that that when you stand up to a bully they just deactivate it's not like they have to think it over. It is a, it is a conditioned response. It's, it's a switch. And it's the same kind of switch that stops two wolves from fighting. They fight to the death until one of them shows his, shows his throat, and then, then the other wolf just stops. It's what the, they just wired that way. And, um, and, uh, and this is wired, wired into us that way too. Hold on. Now, this is interesting. Uh, Jesus in, in uh, Twitch puts up something I got to look at here. Famed Stanford prison experiment was a fraud, scientists say. That wouldn't be interesting. I hope that's true. I just got to look at this quickly here because the Stanford prison experiment is one of the most damning things that have has ever happened. I'll get into that in just a second here. Hang on. The guards were coached to be cruel. One of the men who acted as an inmate told Bloom he enjoyed the experiment because he knew the guards couldn't actually hurt him. Isn't that interesting? The Berkeley grad uh, who was part of it says the whole thing was a fake. One of the guards told Bloom that he pretended to be a sadist just for kicks, took it as kind of an improv exercise. Uh, and uh, one of the exit quotes is psychologists please read this we must stop celebrating this work it's anti-scientific get it out of the textbooks so the Stanford prison experiment for those of you not familiar with it is the experiment that was done very famous experiment that showed that people will um, will follow orders uh, as long as they're being given orders in an authoritative manner. The experiment was they supposedly took uh, their sample, split them up into two different groups. Some people were the prisoners, others were the guards, and the more time that went by, the nastier the guards got, the more uh, servile the, 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 um, the more servile the prisoners got, and it was supposed to last two weeks, but they basically had to call it off because the, the 
guards were apparently going to beat everybody to death. And I don't know how that ties in with the um, the experiment to see how much electric shock people would take. Wouldn't be surprised if that was um, uh, not, if not completely false, then at least not as as um, overwhelmingly depressing as it appeared to be when it first came out. In that experiment, they would basically say, you know, you, you would tell somebody to administer a shock to some unseen person, and the person was an actor. They weren't actually getting the shock. And the question was, how much pain would you would you be willing to inflict on somebody else? You get to hear them screaming. How much pain would you be willing to inflict on somebody you didn't know simply because somebody ordered you to do it? And, um, and that is also, uh, you know, something that that seemed hard to believe um yeah mobile moto says we know it's false because the russian sub didn't fire the nuke when the commanded and they killed them yes exactly the russian subs didn't launch the nuclear torpedo the russian colonel didn't launch the retaliatory nuclear strike even though they both knew they'd be killed for it um they did the right thing i think people are much better than what sociologists want them to made out to be. I really genuinely believe it. Um, Eric Blake says, all of this bill makes it so much more pathetic that there are online conservatives actually calling for bring back bullying, claiming it's an important part of growing up or something. Um, I'm not in favor of bringing back bullying. I do think that that is a lesson that needs to be learned early. Uh, and if you don't ever learn it, then you're likely to be afraid of um, of people who are um, at least externally bigger and more powerful than you. I, I've been looking at this very carefully because it's not just macaques, it's not just bullies. I, I'm looking at how does this... I spent so much time with the Cheka and before that with the SS, and you just wonder how people can do that, how they can inflict this on, on people and and... It's just, um, I think it's just, I think it's just a, a, I think there's like a, like a, like a psychic break that occurs. Something happens to, uh, to nullify your sense of concern about things. Uh, There's a signal, you know, there's a signal that's going out there that some of these macaques give that like kittens don't give and and it and it it's disturbing you know it's really just disturbing um so anyway that's enough monkey business for today <laughs> let's see what else we got here i think it might have been it nope one more nope two more yep oh i'm like how did I, I I started reading broke college students message and and then I just dropped it. Maybe it was the office thing. Back to this. Hello, Bill. Hello, broke college student. You're a fine fellow. Um, for my work at a life insurance company, I attended a webcast that covered such topics as ESG investing. One topic was how companies can make their asset portfolio greener by transitioning from insuring high carbon industries to low carbon industries. 
looking into it, it looks like this idea has been around for at least a couple of years. Like some banks, it seems like another non-governmental actor trying to kill certain industries such as the oil industry. The feasibility of it all aside, should insurance companies be forced to insure emitting industries? How do you feel about this considering it would be a violation of freedom of association? Keep up the good work. Thank you, uh, broke college student. Right, so the, so the, uh, the, the earth is dying climate crisis is the, is the lever that they will use to destroy Western civilization. And, and they have been unbelievably successful in it. I took a look at the latest numbers of people who believe that this is an existential crisis, must be solved in the next five years or else everybody's going to die. 49% said it was very true. 27% said it was likely true. The number of people who doubted it was 13%, you know. And, um, and I see it now it's everywhere. You know, you'll, you'll see a new wing design that's coming out that the airlines are thinking about using because they're interested in sustainable, um, you know, keeping, keeping air travel sustainable. Okay. I've heard, I've heard Gen Zers saying, well, look at the mess that you boomers left us with the environment. And I'm thinking to myself, when I inherited the environment, there was blue puffs of smoke coming from every single car in the in the in the traffic jam filled with lead by the way i might point out and planes left black streaks in the sky and and the great lakes were filled with mercury and stone cold dead and the bald eagle was going to go extinct and so was the buffalo and so was the blue whale and 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 the oceans were filled with with toxic chemicals and the air in los angeles i was in i couldn't see the san fernando um, mountains from from beverly hills for three weeks finally cleared up enough for me to say my god it's in we live in a valley the earth has gotten so much cleaner in the last 50 years that it's almost it's almost difficult to quantify how much cleaner it's gotten people used to throw bags of mcdonald's stuff just out the window just chuck it out the window and and the amount of of toxins in the environment was, was amazing and it's gone it's just gone the Great Lakes are filled with fish again, and, and uh, was it the Cuyahoga River caught fire, and it's filled with fish again, and, and the air is, the worst day in L.A. now is much better than the best day when I got here, and I haven't seen a, a genuinely smoggy day in Los Angeles, honestly now, um, I haven't seen a, a smoggy day in 10 years, 15 years maybe, 15, I saw, um, it was a movie, um, falling down is one of them, but it was another one I saw more recently. It was uh, Training Day. And I'm watching these guys drive around Los Angeles, and I'm thinking, I remember when the air was visible like that. I remember what, what it was like to drive through this soup, but I haven't seen that soup in 15 years. It's just gone. It's just cleaned up. So they've got people convinced, you know. We're at, what, 440 parts per million? If it gets to 460, it's game over. Earth dies. It was, was 3,000 parts per million 80 million years ago. And, and it, it, is such a, it is such a widespread... There are so many people invested in this that, that it is going to be almost impossible to imagine the damage that's going to be done by this. And I'll tell you what's going to happen, too, because I know what's not going to happen, and that is the Earth's not going to die. I know it's not going to... I have no... I mean, 3,000 parts per million? No one's talking about anything remotely like those numbers. Earth survived that just fine. And, in fact, there was never such 
diversity of life as there was 80 million years ago. So what's going to happen is they're going to say, if we don't get this all done in 12 years, then we're all going to die. And that's what AOC is saying. And, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and all the rest of them and Greta and all the rest of these, you know, we, you know it's, if we don't do something in five years or eight years, then we're all going to die. And so what's going to happen in eight years when that time passes? Well, Al Gore said in 2005 that the, if we don't do something, planet will be dead by 2015. And Rush Limbaugh started the uh, world death clock, uh, which is a stroke of genius that only Rush could come up with. And um, sure enough, boom, you know, they'll never, snowfall is a thing of the past. There will be no snowfall after the year 2010. The kids will never see snow ever again. It doesn't matter how many times they're wrong. So here's what they'll do. When, when the 12-year period comes up and people start asking questions about why we haven't all died yet, they will start telling us things like, look, we thought, our predictions were that the world would end in 2030, but because we have been starting to make some changes and because many of you out there are eating bugs now, um, we've been able to postpone this catastrophe for another five years. So um, we are not out of the woods. If you think this is a that we've won the battle, you're wrong. All we've done is push doomsday back a little bit because we're not driving cars and we're not flying in airplanes and we're not uh, eating you know meat now that we're eating bugs and everything. And, and, and we're actually starting to get a little bit of a grip on this. But now instead of it killing us in, in 2030, like we said it would, looks like now it's going to be 2035 when we all die. Um, if only we could eat more bugs. And that's how it's going to work. And, and, and people are going to buy it. And um, and I don't know what it's going to take to undo this one. I just don't. Um, they're going to... No one is going to... Well, on some level, on some level, the people that have been sold this are going to, are going to live to be 70, 80 years old and going to wonder what happened. But they'll be told that you know, that we just managed to avert catastrophe. We're not out of the woods. We can't go back to the life we used to have. You know, just, just managed to, to eat enough bugs so that, um, so that I don't have to, um, you know, we don't have to all die this year. Um, and, um, and, you know, there you go. And, and, and everybody benefits from this. That's a great point. Marusha says, uh, uh, this generation's leaded gas problem is estrogen in the water. Study shows it's led to chemically castrating male frogs and could be responsible for the feminization of society. I, I believe that's absolutely true. Everybody's drinking uh, water out of bottles now, and those bottles um, release a lot of estrogen into the water supply that people are drinking. I remember a couple weeks ago we talked about this guy who was a Gen Zer said, you guys actually used to drink out of a hose outside. Why didn't you just go indoors? You know, it's like, well, because we were outside playing and we were covered in mud and we didn't, weren't allowed to go back indoors. But since we were drinking out of hoses, we weren't drinking out of, um, we weren't getting our estrogen overdose. There's no question that this society is, is very, very high on E and very, very low on T and it's getting worse every year. And, um, and we had better address this issue and I say we, I mean conservatives had better address this issue and quickly um, because because uh, this is a this is an actual civilization killer. Um, it's not like a toxin. I mean, if, if it were something that was killing people, that would be one thing. But, but something that just weakens people is, 
it's like the it's like the it's like the jackpot for these people. Uh, and um, and Eric Blake points out the line from Doctor uh, Strangelove, you know, fluoridation of waters, you know, it's affecting our precious bodily fluids. There was a big fight about the fluoridation of water. I always thought that the fight was kind of ridiculous because fluoridation has really helped a lot of people's teeth. But now as I get more and more um, exposed to unexpected and unintended consequences, I'm beginning to feel a lot more sympathy for the people who said, I don't want you putting stuff in the water that we don't know about. You know? And there was always the anti-fluoridation people were always seen as a bunch of nutcases and weirdos. And... Um, and it turns out that, once again, maybe they're not such weirdos or nutcases. Uh, Sacred Order of Nightly Valor, again, uh, doomsday predictions are always a multiple of four years to match campaigns. I think, I think it, the Thebes can't. Yeah, I think it is. It's like a, it's like a, a litany. And, um, yeah, they're making gay frogs, so... Um, And I thought they were fairly gay to begin with, to be perfectly honest with you. It's not my favorite animal to be completely uh, real. So I think this whole business about, yeah, give a, like you said, um, broke college students, yeah, you know, don't, don't, don't insure companies that produce greenhouse gases. And that means don't insure oil companies. Have oil companies go out of business. Get everybody to drive electric cars with very little range that are controlled by chips and that are undoubtedly going to be self-driving, which means they can be simply turned off. And and if the halfway house to getting people off of cars that give them complete freedom of action anywhere they want to go at any time, if we have to transition them out of that by giving them electric cars that instead of having an essentially unlimited range, have a much more limited range and take much longer to charge, it's just... You're just not going to take an electric car cross-country. You're just not generally going to do that. Um, then they're patient. They're they're pernicious, all right. Last one, and then I'm going home. It's from Steve Young here. Um, if Trump is reelected, can the Secret, Secret Service legally disarm the FBI and prohibit any involvement of that agency in the operations of the administration based on their record of performing or permitting attacks upon the president? The job of the Secret Service is to ensure the continuity of government. Boy, Steve, I'm right with you in heart there. I don't think that that, that would be the way to do things uh, at all, personally. I don't think you send one secret police against another secret police. And I'm not saying they're equivalent, but I am saying they're both government agencies. The, the, way, you, the way you deal with the disarming the FBI is to abolish the FBI. You just pass legislation that whatever legislation empowered or, or, or created the FBI, repeal that. Um, and then figure out a way to have that job that they were supposed to be doing done um, in, a, in a much more decentralized way with a lot more um, checks and balances on it. Um, you really need to... Uh, I'm, at the, I'm really at the point where, you know, Ted Cruz's argument about now, there are many good agents who do good work. I was on that train until about a year ago. And now I'm at the point when it's like, 
you know what, I don't care how many heroes still work for the FBI. They should have resigned en masse. They should have just simply resigned en masse and just said, no, we're being weaponized against the American people. Oftentimes the excuse for not doing that is, well, if we do that, then there won't be anybody left to protect us from the inside, that the whole thing will go over to the corrupt people. But I think they had a moral obligation to do that. I think that once the FBI realized, once the people who were honest in the FBI realized what the FBI had become, I think they had an obligation to resign. And I think they all should have done it at the same time. It should have made it, uh, it should have made it the kind of news that could not be ignored, no matter how hard they try. Um, and and the fact that they haven't done this makes them culpable, as far as I'm concerned. You know, doesn't make me happy to say that. I had a lot of respect for these people. I still have a lot of respect for them. I know individually. I know, I know that many of them are patriots, and I know that many of them are 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 really have done an awful lot to keep all of us safe. But seriously, if you if you are a patriotic member of the intelligence services or the or the you know the the American secret police, then you really do need to. If you haven't asked yourself the question already, it's probably too late. You know, you are complicit in this. The, 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 the heads of the FBI couldn't get away with what they're doing if there was no FBI. And one way you can make sure there's no FBI is for have FBI agents who have integrity to leave. Um, but they, uh, but they didn't. Um, Eric says, Bill, all of them resigning at the same time would have had to have been an organized event. How could that happen? Well. The FBI has managed to organize any number of complex things like stopping terrorist attacks and so on. I have a feeling that they could figure out a way to communicate with each other. All it would take is a couple of them with the courage to start an email chain. And, you know, that's that. Problem is, is that, you know, they just pick them off one by one. They're whistleblowers and, you know, and then the whistleblowers get smacked and then the rest of them keep their heads down. But I'd always thought that FBI agents had to have physical courage and moral courage. Um, but apparently that's not the case. Um, because here we are, right? If, if you're an FBI agent and you've just watched your assistant director tell the Congressional Oversight Committee to pound sand, then why would you stay at that job? Mobile Modal says they just killed a whistleblower. Is that true? Did uh, somebody just have a... A nasty fall. And by the way, I'm not much impressed by, by that either. You know, armed FBI agents are prepared to put themselves in harm's way. They're, 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 they've got physical courage. They, are, they have, have many times found themselves in gunfights. It doesn't, they don't strike me as a group of people who live in terror of their lives. They seem to have been chosen for a higher calling. And, um, and so... Uh, this business of you know being retaliated against, you would think um, you would think they would be uh, braver than that. Uh, Daniel Gorbia says it's not the job of the three-letter agencies to keep a safe bill. That's where the Second Amendment is for. Their job is to protect the Constitution, and they swore an oath to that. Yes, if I said keep us safe, then you're absolutely right for calling me out on that. I I, I hate that expression and. Um, and there's no such thing as safety. And what I meant to say is their job is to um, attack and eliminate as many threats as possible. 
that's not the same thing as keeping us safe. There is no safety, and and whatever safety there is in the world is the personal responsibility of each individual, but especially the personal responsibility of the uh, the father of the family or the or the oldest male son, you know, or the the sons. That's who's responsible for it. We'll take all the help we can get. My wife's a much better shot than I am, um, but uh, ultimately. That's what the men are there for is to is to protect their protect their family and and you can't talk uh, men out of that. Uh, I suppose you can I suppose you can um, estrogen them out of it, but um, generally speaking, I just think that the system is so profoundly well designed that it's still functioning. I was at the airport yesterday thinking about that, and I thought, you know, this is still working. I mean, the streets of San Francisco are unlivable, but this airport is still functioning. Nobody's getting into fistfights. Nobody's urinating on the carpet. Nobody's, you know, smashing windows, although you're starting to see more and more crazy people stressing out in airports so I suppose that's an indication that, and so obviously when you're dealing with airports, you're dealing with people who are more educated uh, generally and and just more successful. People who who are successful usually are successful by playing by the rules. And that's not a equivalent to wealthy, that's just, you know, don't see a lot of gangbangers on airplanes. Um, and so, uh, so those things are still working, but you know, the, the the most remarkable thing about our ages that we live in is 22 years without a without a fatal plane crash of a major airliner. Uh, <laughs> I don't fly Spirit much. Have you? Two people at the same time says you haven't flown Spirit Airlines. I flew Spirit once, and that was seven, eight, ten years ago, and. Um, and yeah, you're right. Spirit is is um, is yeah. Spirit deserves their reputation, but however that goes, um, you know, when you um, when you have 22 years of no fatal crashes, that's because of meritocracy. That's because of that's because of the hiring and the promotion of people who are good at what they do, and the elimination of people who are not good at what they do. And when that starts to become yet another area that is going to be um, made to look more like America, and we have quotas for pilots, and if that means that good pilots are being turned away because they don't tick the right boxes, then that record will go away, and and then it'll reverse itself. Then we'll start to see we'll start to see more and more and more um, airline crashes, more and more high tech failures. If that's what if that's what we allow ourselves to do, that's what we're going to get. Um, they still didn't let the auto trim system drive the plane into the ground like non-U.S. flag airline pilots did with the 737 MAX. Yes, so just so I can get this out of my system, the 737 MAX had, had additional components to the flight control system that were put in there because of the number of crashes that were caused by undertrained pilots, primarily in the third world. And 
the training for the 737 MAX basically said if you have it, the reason these things were just going to the ground was that under certain circumstances, certain angles of attack and so on, uh, the plane would lower the nose because one of the big major problems of pilot error uh, in airline crashes with untrained pilots is uh, stall. You've got, you know, you're, you're pulling back on the stick, you've got angle of attack is too high. So the they put this code into the software and added an extra sensor that took a look at the angle of attack, and if the angle of attack got too high, the plane would, would put its own nose down, which, which I think is nuts because um, that's what Airbus's policy is, and Airbus has flown airplanes into the water with both pilots pulling different directions on each stick. It's just it's insanity to me. But they did it because of the number of stall accidents that were happening. And what they had done was, when they had trained their crews, whenever they trained anybody, they'd say, look, if you have this uncontrolled pitch trim issue, pull the circuit breakers. They're right there. Disengage the system. And both of those 737 MAXs accidents that happened relatively soon after each other overseas, in both cases, neither one of those flight crews pulled the circuit breakers. They had not, they had been trained to fly by checklists and by rules, and as long as everything went perfectly, they were, I guess, capable enough. But, but in any kind of an emergency situation, they just didn't have the training. And, and so, Boeing, I don't agree with Boeing's position on this, and I've already talked about Boeing and the Starship and what they've become, but nevertheless, if you if you train pilots that if you have an uncontrolled pitch-down situation, and if that occurs, pull the circuit breakers, which I would have done without any training anyway, but nevertheless, if you've got a crew that is, that is fighting the airplane for 20 minutes without doing the first thing on the checklist, on some level... It's validating the reason that they put the system in there in the first place. It was a mistake. And, and I don't mean like it was a mistake. Forgive them, it was a mistake. It was a, it was a very, very hubristic decision on the part of Boeing. And not only did they not tell a lot of the overseas operators, they didn't tell American pilots about it either. They just told them what to do in case of uncontrolled um, pitch. They didn't tell them um, that we put this in there. And by the way, part of it had to do with... Um, had to do with the, the the weight and balance on the 737. Those engines on the 737 have always had a problem with being very close to the ground. You look at a 737 nacelle, at least on the, the older ones, had tiny little, like the, the 200s had the small, you know, low bypass engines. But once they put the big fans on there, the bottom of a of a engine cowling on a 737 is not round. It's it's flat because those things, those engines, 737 is not real high off the ground. The engines are mounted on pylons below the wing. They don't have a whole lot of ground clearance. And my understanding was that that they that they had to put something else in there because there was a damage, potential damage to. Um, I think they had to put the. If they hadn't done this, they would have had to move the engines further forward for weight and balance. Something along those lines. It was a software fix to a hardware problem that they didn't want to do because they would have essentially had to recertify the airplane from scratch. Is that what it is? Yeah. So Steve Whoop says they moved, they, the CG was moved too far forward. So, um, so rather than re-engineer the plane, they put in a software fix. And that software fix, um, they did not tell the, the pilots 
other than my understanding is they didn't tell the pilots other than anything other than if you find yourself flying along and your plane is suddenly just determined to strike the ground, then pull the circuit breakers. Um, Woody Fool says, won the plan for a 737 MAX to allow 737 pilots to step in with no additional training. Yes. So ultimately, um, ultimately, it was a it was a cost-cutting procedure. And a uh, number of people died as a result of that. That's not that's not the Boeing that I grew up with, uh, and and it's especially hard to swallow because from the inception of Airbus, Airbus's position has always been that the plane has to have control over the pilot because most accidents are pilot errors. So the Airbus philosophy is is that the controllers in a in a building, the the, the software engineers in a building someplace in Marseille or wherever they built these damn things. Um, know more about what's going to happen in the air than the pilots do. So in an Airbus aircraft, push comes to shove. As a general rule, there are ways to circumvent it and all the rest of it. But basically, basically the philosophy in Airbus is is that the plane is going to be have software designed to make sure that the pilot doesn't crash the airplane. And the Boeing position was the pilot is in command of the airplane at all times. And if the pilot has to put the airplane into extraordinarily unusual um, attitudes and configurations in order to save the, the passengers, and that's what it'll do. But the Airbus position was, no, they're not going to let the pilot do that. So it really is a cultural thing, you know. And I was completely on Boeing's side about this. I just can't imagine, as a pilot, I cannot imagine being in an airplane that doesn't do what I tell it to do because it's wired that way. Um, I just find that just shocking and that and that uh, Airbus Air France that flew into the ocean when I heard that story I, I simply couldn't believe it because the flight control system on the Airbus they both got side sticks they both got fly by wire the new Boeings do too but the but the the control yokes are locked mechanically locked together on a Boeing but on that Airbus flight the 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 co-pilot was in such a panic he was pulling full back on the stick and the pilot was pushing Phil forward. And and the fact that these things were doing different things blew my mind. But when I found out that the pilot's inputs weren't overriding the co-pilots, that, the, that if one guy's pulling full back and the other guy's pulling full forward, the software averages the numbers. It's insane. It's, it's absolutely incredible to me. Absolutely incredible. I'm commanding a full dive. I'm commanding a full climb. And the software decides, well, I guess that means we'll just fly straight and level then. It's, it's it's insane to me. It's absolutely crazy. It's unbelievable. But that's that's Airbus. That's that's the Europeans for you. And then Boeing goes ahead and does the same kind of thing. You know, they just put this thing in there and they don't tell anybody. And you know, there you go. So <sighs> unlimited Hornet works says the Bach um, EE Lightning was a worse counterpart to the F one hundred four Starfighter. Couldn't agree with you more. The Bach Lightning is a very bizarre and ugly airplane, and I never liked it. I've, I've always thought that the British aircraft were taking lessons from the Soviets in how to make something ugly. Um, but the Soviets win. But I, I look at these British aircraft designs. I've always thought the British aircraft designs to be just, honestly, after the Spitfire, which is 
one of the two, if not the most beautiful airplane ever built. The Spitfire's spectacularly gorgeous airplane. But all those post-war British jets are just, just they're just shocking. And the freaking tornado, what a nightmare that thing was. Just a horrible airplane. It's just, just, just a swing-wing bus. I, I, people, I, I see these tornadoes, they don't fly them anymore, apparently, thank God. But, um, good Lord, what a, what a, you know, just a smoking thunderhog. Um, yeah, the Spitfire. And then later versions of the Spitfire, they clip the wings, which is like watching, I don't know what that's like watching. It's like seeing it's like seeing it's like seeing somebody amputated it's like seeing a you know a, like a like a perfect athlete with their legs cut off at the knees a clip wing clip wing spitfire is offensive to me it really offends me to look at it it's it took the one thing that was so iconic about the spit and just said screw it we're not going to do it anymore because it's hard to build those elliptical wings, but my God, when when that that when that Spitfire, when you get a, a a top view of that and you see those, you see those wings, it's just um, there's just nothing quite like that. That is a gorgeous airplane, and um, you know there you go. All right, I'm uh, I'm about done here. I think uh, so. Um, at least we got through all the questions. That's I think twice in a row. That's got to be some kind of record, certainly. Um, so um, I guess we'll see you on Monday. This uh, show is made possible by the members of BillWhittle.com who have been hanging in there, um, doing my very best, and uh, and they keep hanging in there, and, and I never, ever cease to be not only grateful but somewhat amazed by all of this. So thank you to all of you who have um, who've been uh, keeping the, the lights going here for low this 11 years now, I think, not nine, rather. Um and so uh, thanks again for all of those. And uh, Marisha says, please remember to appoint mods next time. I don't know how to appoint mods. I just don't know how. And uh, right now I'm not going to worry about it. Um, so uh, we will see you guys uh, presumably on Monday. Um, until then, uh, take care of yourselves. Don't let the bastards get you down. Don't forget that despair is the goal. That's the goal. That's the target. That's what they're counting on. So... Um, don't let them get to you. Just hang out and talk to other Patriot friends and go to BillWhittle.com if you want to hang out in the forums and um, and just realize that their entire strategy is predicated on making you give up and I'm not giving up and you're not giving up either. So, so we'll see you next time here on Stratosphere Lounge. <laughs>